you have your Bible, you can open to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And uh, we will pray first. So join me in prayer. Father, we pray that your word would have the power. Pray that your spirit would empower, illuminate, and clarify your word so that the truth that comes from your word would sink deep into our hearts and minds and into our souls and transform us into Christ. So I pray that your spirit would do a powerful work here. Your word tells us if we obey you and we trust you, you will work, you will act. So we trust you with your word. Open hearts and minds to receive truth, to be convicted of sin, and strengthened in the Lord's strength, in your strength toward righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So... We're in our series called A Healthy Church, and this morning's message is A Healthy Church Goes to Church. So normally I start these healthy church sermons by saying, a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians, and a healthy Christian dot 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 gives, or a healthy Christian worships, or a healthy Christian praise, or etc., or whatever the topic or text is for that Sunday. But I'm going to change it for this week. This is what I'm going to say. Instead of saying a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians, I'm saying a healthy church is filled with Christians. See the difference? The distinction? There's a distinction between that I'm making between a healthy Christian and a Christian. And there's a reason I'm saying that. The reason is, every Christian should be a healthy Christian. Now, we're all on our way there. We're not all there. I get it. This isn't meant to be a condemning message. Okay? This should be uplifting in the sense that it is convicting if this is something you struggle with. And I also realize, like, this, okay, so this message is about you going to church. So if there's any, any, ever a time when it's appropriate to say, you're preaching to the choir, man, it's now, right? You're literally here. <laughs> like, I can't tell you to go to church. You're at church. That's where you're getting the message. So kudos to you <laughs> for being here. And, and I, what I want to do, though, is I don't, I don't want to just motivate you to go to church. It, it's deep in that. I want you to understand why. Like, I'm a why person. A lot of you are how people, right? I don't care why. Just tell me how to do it. A to B. Get it done. Tell me how. What do I do? I'm a why person. I am paralysis by analysis. Okay? I move slow because I want to fully grasp why, what's going on, what's the reason, what's my motivation, before I proceed with anything related to how something's done. So I'm a why person, so my sermons tend to be why-oriented, and I'm going to give you the why. I want you to understand the foundational, biblical reasons why going to church is a matter 
I want you to be prepared for this statement. Going to church is a matter of life and death. And I'll explain why. Because I think if you hear a message from a preacher that's telling you, you have to go to church, you have to go to church, life or death, life or death, you're going to think, this is legalism. That's works-based. Going to church doesn't save you. I can be a Christian and not go to church. I can love Jesus and not go to church. I'm going to show you that you can't. So I want you to understand the foundational reasons for going to church and why it's a matter of life or death. And what I mean by life or death is that those who are alive in Christ, we call those Christians, go to church. Those who are dead in their sins, not Christians, whom we love and we want to reach, they don't go to church. So one of the distinctions between a believer and a not believer is church attendance. Right? But I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to say, hey, make sure you show the world you're a Christian by going to church. Because again, then we, get, we start treading this line of works-based kind of relationship with God. Like, I better do the right thing so God's happy with me. I better go to church or Pastor Mark's going to tally me off as absent for the Sunday. You know how many people I run into at like the grocery store or whatever, and I'm like, hey, dude. And they're like, oh, hey, sorry I was at church on Sunday. I just had to do this. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I knew you weren't there. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. I, I, I don't keep tally. I don't keep track. I mean, that's between you and God. Now, if, if, I do, if you're gone for like a month or maybe even a couple weeks, I might notice and go, you know who I've been seeing around for a couple weeks is this person. And then I'm going to go, I wonder what they need. Like to me, I'm not like, oh, shame on that person doesn't come to church. I'm just thinking to myself, they probably need something. They probably need attention. They probably need some spiritual guidance. They need some love, some shepherding. There's probably something going on that's keeping them from being here. And we need to, as a church, reach them. So if anything, if I notice you're gone, I'm just thinking, how do I love this person well? Because what I know, what I'm going to show you from the text, is that healthy Christians do go to church. The Christians go to church. And that if you're not going to church, and I mean regularly, like every week. Now, there's obvious reasons why sometimes you don't go to church, right? Vacation, you're visiting family, things like that, whatever, right? People miss Sundays. Hey, I go on vacation like three times a year. I miss three Sundays here. Well, it's part of life. I'm not talking about you have to be here every single week, and if you don't, that's bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about regular, consistent church attendance is a mark of a true Christian. And if I see that someone who is regularly attending Grace Church, because it's the only church I can keep track of, <laughs> if, if I notice they're not attending, I'm immediately thinking, there must be something wrong in their life right now that is preventing them from being here. It's not that they're necessarily maybe doing it deliberately or... Or, or that they just choose not to come anymore. It's not like, oh, they must not think church is important. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, how do I serve and love these people? And there must be something going on in their relationship with God 
that is not straight, that's not right, that's a little out of order, a little kind of messed up or maybe confusing to them or frustrating or difficult that is keeping them from being here because a healthy Christian is going to be here. And I'll say this, if there's something that keeps you from coming to church because life is just too hard or too messy or, or too difficult or you're struggling spiritually, there is no better time to be at church. So I want to show you from God's word how important being at church is and why I call it a matter of life and death. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. The author says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you have in there this, it's not a command, it's, 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 the church, it's, it's the author telling us that you don't have to go to church. I'm not telling you that in order to be saved, you have to go to church. What he's expressing to us is that if you're a believer, then I shouldn't have to tell you to go to church. Right? I shouldn't have to explain to you how important meeting with God's people regularly is for your spiritual life. The point is, what the author is saying, is that if you're a believer, then you will go to church. And you will go regularly, and we'll look at some of the reasons why regular attendance is important, because of all the benefits that come from being at church. And it's not just, hey, I want to convince you, oh, there's a bunch of benefits of being here. You should come, come, come to church every week. Benefits that God's word says you don't just want, you need. Part of your spiritual life, your relationship with Jesus, is dependent on the community of believers around you. So, there is a distinction between the difference, there's a distinction between the command, go to church, and what the author says, which is, if you're a believer, you will go to church. And that distinction is the context of this verse. So these verses, verses 24 through 25, are placed right in the middle of a section of text, which is Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. I think that's 21 verses that we call a warning passage. So that, there's, there's five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews is all about this warning. And the warnings are, are different, but ultimately the aim of the entire book of Hebrews is very, is, is there's one primary aim, which I'll explain in a second. But there are five warning passages in Hebrews. This is the fourth of the warning passages. So there's a warning that comes in 19 through 39. And then after the warning comes this encouragement as well. So there's this like, hey, watch out for this. And then here's your encouragement as you watch out for that. So the warning is essentially this. People who are genuinely saved, real Christians actually have a saving relationship and faith in Christ, people who are genuinely saved will not continue to deliberately sin. Real Christians will not continue to deliberately sin. That should feel pretty heavy. Because the moment I read that, I go, uh-oh. I think I'm going to hell. <laughs> like, 
this is a very, this text, I, I could spend the rest of, the t- of our time just explaining this text, so I'll try to summarize it for you. Verse 26 says this. For, and this is where I get that statement, that warning, this is that warning summarized in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That is one of the weightiest statements in the entire Bible for a Christian to read. What is there instead? A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the warning. The warning is, if you continue to deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, then you're not saved and you never were. Now, we, there needs to be some clarification here. Because some of you have deliberately chosen a familiar sin repeatedly in your Christian life. Right? And therefore, we can take that reality, I've deliberately chosen a particular sin repetitively in my life, but I think I'm a believer. And according to this verse, verse 26, I'm going to hell. I'm going to face a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume me because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living, vengeful, angry, full of wrath God. And that statement should terrify you. Listen, there is some clarification that's needed because there's a difference between choosing to deliberately sin with no conviction, no remorse, no repentance, no desire for holiness, no hatred for sin, just in willing disregard for God, for his word, as the spirit convicts you of sin, you go, ah, and you do it anyways. That is different than you being a genuine believer who truly has faith in Jesus, and you do knowingly and deliberately choose the same sin, and you hate that choice, and you hate that sin, but it creeps up on you because that sin has already penetrated the... the surrounding walls of your heart, the castle of your heart. The castle has high walls. The castle is the word of God, but you don't spend time in God's word. The doors are open. The enemy is creeped in, and inside your walls, he has built up a stronghold, a place where he has taken, the enemy has taken, or the sin has taken hold of your heart. And you fire your arrows at it, and it fires its arrows at you, and you battle, and you hold up a shield, and you try to have faith, and you try to put on the armor of God, and you try to battle the sin, but you still choose it, and you hate the choice, and when you're done with the choice, you feel terrible about it, and you hate yourself, and you feel gross, and guilty, and shameful, and then you go, ah, now I know why Paul said, why do I do what I don't want to do, and why don't I do what I want to do? That's a Christian who is fighting 
sin that is tearing them apart. That's different. That's different than deliberately ignoring the truth. One's a Christian and one is not. Now, I will say this. There is a solution. If you are in deliberate sin, you know the sin, it's on you all the time, it creeps up on you, here's what is happening. You haven't told anybody about it. That's why it's destroying you. Nobody else knows. No one's holding you accountable. You're like, next time I won't do it. I swear, next time I won't do it. Okay, I'll be honest. I'm going to admit something to you guys. I'll admit one of my creeping, repetitive, and deliberate sins that I do. It's probably not my worst, but I don't think you want to know my worst. Okay. I've shared this before. It's anger. I sometimes cannot control my anger. I'll give you an example. I told Christian the other week, I said, dude, I think I need to stop mentioning golf because I make a joke every week about Christian and I are going golfing. People are going to start wondering how we're really spending our time. I think I'm going to stop talking about golf, but I'm going to talk about golf. So <laughs> last year, I decided I'm going to get better at golf. And in order to get better at golf, what do you have to do? Play golf. Right? I'm like, I need an activity that is physical but enjoyable. Golf! I love golf, but I'm terrible at it. So what do I need to do? I need to play a lot. So if I play a lot, I'll get better. And as I get better, I'll enjoy it. And I was getting better and better throughout the year. Till near the end of the year, I think I just kind of got physically and maybe emotionally, mentally tired of golf. And I remember being on the eighth tee at Crooked Creek. I was by myself. I had a cart. A cart was on the cart path. And I lined up my ball and I'm just like, kind of just, it's been a frustrating round. I've got two holes left. I take this drive and it goes way to the right into a bunch of tall grass and my ball disappears. And I'm just like, ah! And I, this isn't funny, but it kind of is. And I just turn and I chuck my driver. And it hits the golf cart. <laughs> and the golf cart has these poles that go up to the canopy and my golf club wrapped in half, snapped in half and wrapped around the golf cart pole. And I just stood there like, oops. <laughs> um, I think maybe I need to find a better way to enjoy my time. Because <laughs> this is far from enjoyable to me. Clearly I have an anger issue and this is not a solution for my free time. However, I've golfed much more this year than I did last year. And just so you know, I haven't gotten any better. So, but I also have not broken a club this year. Hey, we still have half a summer left. But my point is that I know that that sin is going to creep up on me. And in those moments of frustration, I lose. There's a stronghold that's been built up inside of me. And the only reason I don't tell people about it is because of shame. Now, I just told all of you guys. Because let's be honest, that's kind of an easy sin to tell people. I mean, it makes me look bad a little bit. Yeah, but I trust you guys. You guys, know, I feel like you know me well enough to be like, I mean, it's a sin. He's just a man. He'll struggle with it. Like, I get it. You know, but there are sins that if I told you, oh, I'm doing this or oh, I'm doing that, you'd be like, you're doing what? Right? And I guarantee that this room is filled with people who if they stood up right now and said out loud, my sin is blank. And you shared that, we'd all be like, whoa, you need help, brother. Right? And, we, and, and the reality is we would, you, you'd feel condemned. 
But Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are afraid to tell other Christians about our sin, and the reason we're afraid is because of shame. That is the enemy's greatest weapon against you as a Christian. Shame. Don't tell people. If you tell people, they're all going to think you're gross and ugly and perverted and weird and not a Christian and you're a bad person and if you call yourself holy, you go to church. There's all these thoughts we have. We're going to look so bad. I'm going to feel so stupid. My family's going to hate me. I'm, my ego is going to be destroyed. I can't tell people because there's this shame that will be covering me. And the enemy's like, don't tell them. They're going to shame you. And God's word says, no, there is therefore now, if you're in Christ, no condemnation, no shame, no guilt. Why? Because Jesus died with your shame. He didn't just die with your sins because you're, you're, it's not just your sins, but it's your shame. And what I'm saying is shame is a sin. To, to be a Christian and feel shame and guilt is sin. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. There's no room for guilt. Guilt has been covered. Jesus bore your guilt on the cross. Every time you feel guilty and every time you feel shame, you walk back to the grave. You dig up your old shame and your old guilt that was buried and you put it on your own shoulders. You say, I can't tell people because of the shame. And Jesus is like, what? Dude, I already took it. You want to know what shame and guilt feels like? Hanging on a cross for six hours, carrying the burden and the sin and the weight and the guilt and the shame of every elected and chosen son and daughter that I have called to my kingdom? That was shame and guilt so bad the Father couldn't even look at me anymore. A relationship that had existed for eternity past is severed on the cross. That is what shame and guilt feels like. You don't have that as a Christian. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12, 11 tells us that in Christ Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence to approach God. That means that Jesus is telling you, I bore your shame, I bore your guilt, so that you could, even in your sinful choices, approach God in the righteousness of Jesus and say, God, I know I sinned. I confess my sin. You've already forgiven me on the cross. I praise you for that. Now change me because I hate this sin. How dare you speak to God with such boldness? How dare you not? Ephesians 3 tells you to. And not just boldness. Boldness is, can be arrogant, but confidence in Christ removes the arrogance and inserts humility so that boldness is an appropriate approach with fearful reverence for God while you come to him and say, I have no shame, Jesus took it. I have no guilt, Jesus took it. But I am deliberately choosing to sin against you, God. It is tearing me up inside. I need help. And God's answer to you is tell someone because you can't do this alone. So there's a difference between deliberately sinning as a Christian and deliberately sinning as not a Christian. Now, what does that have to do with church? Here's the encouragement that comes. That's the warning. Don't continue deliberately sinning. If you do, there's no salvation. There never was. Here's the encouragement. 
warning, from the warning, verse 39. But we, but we, that's Christians, are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. Meaning, verse 39 is telling you that if you're a genuine Christian, then this encouragement and this warning will click for you. That means genuine believers don't fall away. Genuine believers don't move towards continuous and deliberate sin. Genuine believers move away from continuous and deliberate sin. This entire letter to the Hebrews has one primary aim. The primary aim of the book of Hebrews is that genuine Christians would live like genuine Christians. That there would be a distinction between a true believer and not a true believer. Many of the warnings and many of the texts in Hebrews are showing you the difference between what a real Christian looks like and what a real, what a non-Christian looks like. And I think that if you went to all the persecuted nations in the world that have Christians in them and you told them how you live your American Christian life, they'd go, what? You spend your life playing sports? You watch how many hours of TV? You spend how much time on your phone? You have all that free time and you're not serving the kingdom with every second of your life? You know why they feel that way? Because they don't have every second of their life. They have minuscule little pockets of time where they can hide away in someone's basement and pray together and study the word together and worship and sing together. That's all they have are those little pockets of time where they can kind of get away and, and, and avoid persecution just to worship God. And they're looking at Americans and going, man, if I had all that free time, I would be building the kingdom. I'd be sharing the gospel. I'd be doing prayer ministry. I'd be evangelizing. I would be doing so many things for God's kingdom. And in America, they have all the freedoms in the world and they squander it on garbage. Now, sports aren't garbage. Time with family isn't garbage. Going on vacation isn't garbage. There are things we do. I'm not telling you to just give up your entire life and just commit it fully to the kingdom of God. But you know what I am telling you? Give up your entire life and commit it to the kingdom of God. <laughs> your choice. <laughs> I, what I really want you to understand is that there is a, there, that we, we just have such a different perspective on what it means to be a Christian. And I think in, in, the, in persecuted places, they have the strongest Christians because you have to be strong. You have to be firmly planted in Christ. You have to know God's word, trust God's word, depend on God, because you might die if someone finds out you're a Christian. That doesn't happen in America. And we still don't tell people we're Christians. You have no threat of dying for telling someone you're a Christian in America. None whatsoever. You won't go to jail. The worst you'll face is someone goes, you believe the Bible? That's, that's the degree of persecution you're going to face here for being a Christian. And I say all that not to make you feel guilty or condemned like, oh, we are terrible. I don't want you to feel down on yourself like, oh, I guess I'm not condemning you. But I hope there's a little bit of conviction that says there is a lot more for God's kingdom that I could be doing. And that starts, that starts with being a church. 
Listen, being at church is vital to your spiritual health. Because what the author says in verses 24 and 25 are that we have this desire to stir, like what a Christian should do is want to stir up love and good works in other Christians and also in themselves have love and good works. But you can't do that if you're not with them. You have to be at church. And you have to be there regularly. Because if you're not at church regularly, you're missing out on love and good works. Well, Mark, the gospel says that I don't have to do love and good works to be saved. Totally. Agree completely. This isn't about works. This isn't legalism. I'm not telling you that going to church gets you saved or that going to church keeps you saved. What I'm saying is that real Christians go to church. Because real Christians love Jesus, and Jesus loves the church, and Jesus loves God's people, and so God's people love Jesus and love what Jesus loves, which is the church, God's people, right? So I've met Christians before who tell me all the time, like, oh, I, I, I love Jesus, I just don't feel like I need to go to church. I'm like, then you don't love Jesus, man, because he tells you to go to church, Right? I love my wife. She says she only wants flowers for Valentine's Day, but I got her nothing. Doesn't matter. I love her. She knows it. Oh, yeah, that's going to go over really well, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you get to stay married, but that's about it. (laughs) Right? We we treat him that way. You You can't say I'm part of God's kingdom and not me with God's kingdom. You have to be at church regularly. Now, I've got like a bunch of practical reasons why uh, what I, what I, I'll say it like this what I'm trying to help you understand is the foundational reason to why we need to be in church okay? why church attendance is so important why regular church attendance is so important there are other biblical reasons that are a little more practical, tangible things you can grab, things you get out of being at church, reasons why you benefit here, reasons why other people benefit from you being here I, I'm not going to get on that this week I have it in my notes. I already realized I'm not going to get there. So here's what I'm going to do. In my weekly refresh is the email that I send out. It's our weekly newsletter on Wednesdays. I'm going to put all those practical things in that weekly refresh so you guys can have a booster on Wednesday about this message, okay? So I won't go there today, but I'll send you the booster on Wednesday that give you some more practical, tangible ways and reasons why being a church is so important. So I'm not going to go there today because what I want to hit home with you is this reality that genuine Christians do not continue to deliberately sin. And not going to church regularly is deliberate sin. If you show up once a month and you're like, eh, it'll do. You're not growing. There's no way you're growing. If you say, well, I do a bunch of Bible study at home, and I read, and I pray, and I do this, and I do that, so I'm growing at home. Well, if you are doing those things, then God's Word and His Spirit would convict you to be at church, which tells me that that's not happening. And I realize, as I look around, these are people who are at church, (laughs) like I said. So I kind of feel like some of you are going, dude, I'm here all the time. So this message doesn't apply to me. It's, I want you to get, I don't want you, I trust that you're going to come back like next week or whatever, unless you're on vacation next week. By the way, I'm, in two weeks, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So this is a really timely message. <laughs> like, Didn't you just preach on being in church? I haven't seen it for two weeks. I'm going on vacation. Give me a break. So, uh, no, I, 
I really want you to understand the reasons so that you're motivated to continue with the consistency of being a church. And not just so you can say, I went to church, check. I'm a good Christian, check. God loves me, check. Because I went to church, Pastor Mark doesn't think I'm a bad person, check. None of those reasons matter. And none of them are true or relevant. If you love Jesus, that's the whole point of, the, of the, almost the whole book of Hebrews. What the author is really drilling home is not going to church is deliberate sin. And real Christians don't choose deliberate sin. You, you have to be here. You need it. You need teaching. You need worship. You need prayer together. You need community. You need encouragement, accountability. There's a million reasons to be here. And they're all good reasons. And every week you get something new. You talk to someone new. You build relationships. The kingdom of God is, is, is established, built, and maintained on relationships. If, there, if it isn't built on relationships, then you don't know Jesus. And there is no kingdom. So being at church and building relationships is huge. Well, there's other ways I can build relationships. I go to this ministry or that. We, that. we need to meet together for other reasons too. The church is commanded to follow certain biblical sacraments such as communion and baptism. You need to meet regularly in order to fulfill those things. So, I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilt. I don't want you to feel pressure. But if there's a little bit of pressure in your heart right now, like, uh-oh, I think regular church attendance for me has not been something that I consider that important. And I'm starting to feel a little bad about it right now. I hope that that is not guilt or shame. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would be working on that and what he would be doing and what you would be feeling is conviction. The Spirit of God saying, I love you, I saved you, now obey my word. It's good for you. According to verses 24 and 25, not regularly going to church is deliberate sin. Now, <clears throat> not being at church is a deliberate choice, right? You're choosing not to go, and therefore it's sin. And I know you could like, think to yourself, well, it's, I'm not choosing not to go. I'm just really tired. Or I have to work. Do you know that according to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you can go to your boss and say, I will not work on Sundays because I have to go to church. And your boss has no right to prevent that or and has no right for that to affect your employment at all. And this includes refusing to accommodate you, the employee, for your seriously held religious beliefs and practices, unless, there is an unless, unless the accommodation for you to be at church instead of going to work would impose like an, an, an undue hardship. So this is how the law is interpreted. Anything more than a minimal burden on the operation of, your, of that business is permissible, is permission, permit, is okay. So, <laughs> bleep, bleep, no, oh, I'm sorry. So, the point is, if you missing work causes minimal disruption at work, that's okay. If it's way more than minimal, 
right, then it's not okay. Like, you got this massive presentation for a multi-million dollar company. There's going to be a thousand people there. They're all depending on you to be there. You've got this important speech to make. It's a huge deal. It's, it would be a massive blow to your company if you just suddenly didn't show up. You go, I can't be there. I'm going to be church on Sunday. Pastor Mark told me. <laughs> Dude, just go to the presentation. Come back next week. You know what I mean? Like, be reasonable, okay? But the point is, you can tell your employee, employer, I'm not going to work on Sundays. Okay, well, you have to work Saturday nights till 4 a.m. No, because then I'm tired. I'm not going to work Saturday nights. That is imposing on my religious sincerity to worship God on Sunday mornings. You have the right to say that. I've said this very statement to about 100 Christians in my life in private. And I'll go, eh. I'm like, what do you mean, eh? It's a law. You're literally giving them freedom. Take advantage of it. Like I said earlier, if, if this were China, they'd be like, are you serious? I, don't, I can tell them I don't want to go to work for religious reasons so I can worship God with God's people? Oh, yes! They'd be so stoked about that. So, number one, if your boss wants you to work on a Sunday morning, you say no. If he wants you to work Saturday night and that's going to make you too tired, I got two things. Actually, maybe, let me back up. You tell your boss no, your boss has to honor that. If he doesn't, or she, or he or she doesn't, and they fire you, good. That's good. You know why I say that's good? 1 Peter 3.17. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You did good. You said, I make God's kingdom my priority over work. And you make that clear with the law on your side, to your boss that you're not going to work and your boss fires you, that is you suffering for doing good. And 1 Peter 3.17 says that is God's will and it's good. If the Bible's clear that even your death is good, if you die, if you suffer to the point of death for doing what is good, that is God's will and it is righteous. If your death is good for doing good, then so is getting fired. Because it's not nearly as bad as death. So if your boss says, well, you can work Saturday night, you say, no, I can't work Saturday night because I'm tired. Then I can't go to church and worship God on Sunday mornings. Number one, just go to work on Saturday night, suck it up and be here. That's one option. But that's hard. I don't preach short sermons. That's a long time for you to sit. We've only got 30, we got 30 minutes left. So, I'm just kidding. I'm glad you laughed. Because if you were like, no. Then I, like, all right, let's wrap it up. So, and if you're just too tired to suck it up, then say, I'm not coming to work. I have to be at church. And if your boss fires you, good! Praise God! The disciples in Acts 5 were preaching the gospel and they were beaten by the council and they left the council. And what did they do, church? They worshipped Jesus and praised him for being considered worthy to suffer in his name. They consider suffering joy. That's why James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, brothers, when you tell your boss, I will be at church. 
to worship my God with God's people. It is vital to the success of my spiritual health. It is vital to my spiritual life and growth because this earth is momentary and temporary and I will exist beyond this and that is my priority. That is important. That's what I will invest in. And your boss goes, well, you're fired. And you go, good. And I will receive a reward. And I will suffer in joy. Count it all joy, brothers, when you're fired for going to church. Going to church does not save you. Going to church does not keep you saved. This is not legalism. This is not show up and I'll think you're a good person. Show up and everyone else will think you're a good person. This is going to church is the fruit, the product of someone who has the Holy Spirit in them, loves Jesus Christ, and wants to live for him and serve him. It is evidence, not legalism. And we have to do it even if you suffering is required. Easy for me to say, I'm a pastor. I literally get paid to be here. If I wasn't here, I would be the only one who's not at work. <laughs> you ever think about that? If I just didn't show up, everybody's out at work. I'm not at work, right? So I have to be here. Easy for me to stand up here and be like, oh, go to church, go to church, get fired from your job. Ha <laughs> it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. If you got fired from your job for going to church, that would be massive. I mean, if you decide to tell a bunch of people, it would probably make the news or something. But that's not what we're about. What I'm telling you is, as the world progresses, like a couple months ago, I did a sermon in First Timothy, or Second Timothy 3, one of the Timothys, chapter 3, <laughs> And, and it was all about how the world is going to progressively get worse as the end draws near. You're going to see more and more persecution. Our children are going to live in a completely different world. So what do you think our children are going to do when their parents don't make a commitment to God's kingdom? Don't choose suffering over complacency. Don't choose hardships over the right thing. But choose the right thing. Choose church. Choose righteousness. Hate sin. Reject sin. Stand for justice. And, and love God. And love Jesus. And trust him. And serve him. And give to him. And give him worship. And as the world progressively gets worse and worse and worse. And starts hindering your freedom to worship God. And I think the church will strengthen and blast through that. Blast through those hindrances. With the power of real Christians. And you know who's not going to be there? The people who already weren't there. The people who don't go to church. If parties and work and sports already kept them from church, what do you think persecution from the government's going to do? That's going to keep them away much easier. This is not legalism. This is the product of genuine faith. We in America don't know what it's like to be the church. We just don't. This is why I'm preaching a series called A Healthy Church, because I don't think the church in America knows what a healthy church is. You know why? Because the biggest churches in America are filled with the most disgusting heresies. Telling people that if you are a Christian, you ought to be blessed to the point of riches. 
You will never suffer if you're a Christian. That is heresy. Have you ever read Romans 7, 8, 17, and 18? You get to be a Christian under one circumstance. Romans 8, 17. Provided you suffer with Christ. There you go. Christians suffer. Expect it. How do I get through that suffering? Romans 8, 18. For I consider that it is the suffering of this present time is nothing to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's why we take the suffering. That's why we tell our boss we can't be at work because we have to be at church. Because if they kill us for it, which they won't, but if they started killing us for not doing the things that we're supposed to do, then so be it. Because Paul says in Romans 8, 18, the glory that's coming is way better than the suffering here. Safe people will make the effort to be at church, period. We do it because we want to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews is drilling home this point that real believers act like real believers. They will give real believers. will give. Real believers will worship. They will gather corporately. That's going to church. They will do communion. They will get baptized. Christians, real, genuine Christians, will love righteousness. They will hate sin. They will love each other. They will do justice. They will pray. They will serve. And they will become more and more like Jesus. And it will be obvious who they are. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Because the want is the desire that is produced from the Holy Spirit transforming you into the likeness of Christ. As you're saved, the Holy Spirit starts working on you. And as the Spirit works on you, He transforms you. And He's made you a new creation. And in that new creation, you now have the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit living within you to convict you of sin, to show you what is righteous, to illuminate the Word of God so that you know it and understand it and can live it. And then Ezekiel 36, 27, you will obey it. Why will you obey it? Because you're good now? No, because the Holy Spirit will cause your obedience. That's Ezekiel 36, 27. The Spirit of God will cause your obedience. And that means real Christians have the real Holy Spirit, and the real Holy Spirit will cause you to obey. Which means real Christians will obey. They will do these things. Gather corporately, communion, baptize, love righteousness, hate sin, love each other, do justice, pray, serve, all those things. Real Christians will do them. We'll struggle, we'll sin, we'll fail, we'll make mistakes, we'll be less than perfect, trust me. But we're also filled with grace, and that grace was meant to give you the desire and passion to continue in righteousness, to do what's right. And as the Holy Spirit is in you, not only does he cause the act of obedience, but he creates in you the desire for righteousness, the, the passion and wanting to do what is right. And one of those things is going to church and being fed God's word by your shepherd and teacher, communing with God's people in fellowship, praying together, worshiping God in music together. Real Christians want to go to church because Jesus has given you that new heart and that new mind and you're a new creation and new creations love God and love obedience and love to satisfy the desires of their Lord and King. Have you thought about that lately? Have you ever said to yourself lately, it is my greatest passion and desire deep down in my heart. My, the thing I want to do most is satisfy my Lord and my King Jesus. All I want to do is make him happy. 
Listen, God's already happy with you because you're in Christ. He looks at you and he sees his son, Jesus. And now that you have the righteousness of Christ, you can start producing the fruit that looks beautiful and good and righteous to God. And he wants you to want it. And he's given you the ability to want it. And he's given you the spirit to cause you to want righteousness and obedience. And though he loves you, even when you sin, We are still commanded to obey him. And we still are producing in ourselves a desire to want to satisfy our king. Even though he's already satisfied that desire himself by making us like Christ, he wants you to want to satisfy him. And your obedience to his will is his joy and his glory. And not only that, but real Christians also want to be satisfied. Real Christians love obedience because they love God's word and they find joy in obeying God. And they get satisfied in Christ and in God when they obey. Not because, yes, I feel good because I did what God told me to do, so I'm good with God. Your relationship with God doesn't change when you sin or don't sin, when you sin or do righteousness. You're always right with God in Christ. But you will produce joy when you glorify God. Our whole purpose and reason for existing is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And you will enjoy God most in obedience. And I say that knowing that that might produce suffering. And my point is that even that suffering would be your joy. So it's not legalism, it's not works based, it's not a duty. It's joy. Real, genuine Christians go to church because it is their own personal desire and joy to stir up one another to love and good works and encourage each other. This is evidence of genuine salvation. And that is what fills a healthy church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Pray you would make us righteous through the power of your spirit. You've already made us positionally righteous in you. And now I pray that you would act out and fulfill that righteousness in the way we live. And one of the expressions of that, Father, would be our church attendance. Not out of duty, not out of legalism, not out of guilt, not out of shame, out of pure joy for being righteous and a hatred for deliberate sin. Let it be the evidence and fruit of your people and your work on their hearts as you make us like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.